welcome to CLF Gems, a podcast about customer experience and insight from CLF Research. I'm Stephen Hampshire. And I'm Greg Roche. And in this episode, we're welcoming a special guest to help us talk through some questions about customer experience in the social housing sector. Yeah, really pleased to have one of our colleagues joining us today, Vicky Harris. How are you doing, Vicky? I'm very well, thank you, Greg. Are you? I'm great. I'm great. How, how, how long have you been at TLF now, Vic? Oh, we don't want to talk about this, Greg. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, I think it'll be 18 years, I think, which is a bit scary. You started when you were at school then? Absolutely, yes. (laughs) And um, one of the reasons we've asked um, Vicky to join us today is we thought it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about the customer experience in the social housing sector, but perhaps really trying to bring it right up to date and look at um, the changes that have been happening recently in, in, you know, in the sort of lockdown COVID world. And one of the things in terms of the webinars that, that you've done, Stephen, is really to just identify sort of three general groups of customers they appreciate the life the live life and the protect life and how that's starting to form some customer attitudes do you want to talk a little bit about them and then we'll move it into the sort of the housing the housing sector yeah so and as i said on the webinar really i'm always a bit wary of whether it's segmentation or personas of putting people into boxes and saying, you know, this, this person is this type of customer and they, these are their values and this is how they think. And this is different from this other person. I think we all, we move around in terms of how we think about things and what's important to us. But that said, there are sort of tendencies. Some people have some types of traits and other people have sort of slightly different traits. And what we're seeing at at the moment with the, the coronavirus and lockdown is that, some people are very very focused on that idea of protecting life so you know i'm come july the 4th there is no way you're going to find me in a pub there's no way you're going to find me in a restaurant that sort of attitude yeah um whereas other people are more on the sort of live life end of things where it's on july the 4th uh, opening time i'm going to be there in the pub you know demanding to, to sort of meet up my friends and do all the things i used to do yeah and probably a bit of overlap between in, in with both of the extremes there, the, the, the third category, appreciate life, really applies to pretty much everyone, but in slightly different ways. So it's kind of this time during lockdown where I've been forced to, to think about what's important to me. How do I want to spend my time? Actually, maybe, maybe I quite like going for walks in the wood near my house. Maybe I'll do a bit more of that, you know, whatever happens over the next few months. So, yeah, the appreciate life really applies to all of us. There's just slight differences in, in emphasis where some people are more appreciate life by meeting up with their friends and going for a drink. And some people appreciate life by socially distanced meetups with their family, I guess. And that, that sort of change in attitudes, we've talked a lot about attitudes leading to behaviours before, but this moment where attitudes are altering, I think is quite a significant event. You don't see this, this happen very often. How do you think that's come across in sort of the social housing sector? Do you think there's been any sort of change in, you know, I'm sure there has been a change in views. What, what, what sort of do you sense from that area? Um, well, I guess from sort of speaking to clients, I think there's sort of changes in two ways, really. There's, there's changes from a residence point of view. And there's also changes from a housing association's point of view in, in what they're doing and how they're doing things. I mean, I know from some of the surveys that we've been running, um, tracker surveys, we have included some questions on, on the questionnaire to understand, you know, from a resident's point of view, 
could their housing association do anything more to keep them updated or to support them in the current time? And I think not wanting, as you said, Stephen, to box people into uh, any type, we've seen some various responses in, in terms of these questions. People are concerned about, you know, paying the rent and, you know, financial situations and also things like the repairs, you know, so if they need something fixing, if something goes wrong, how are they going to, you know, how are they going to go about doing that? Um, I also think from, as I said, from the housing association's point of view, we've seen quite a few people sort of redeploy staff, as it were, understanding that their tenant profile they may have or they will have vulnerable residents uh, within that. So they've kind of done what we call care calls or welfare calls out identifying these residents, out to these residents to see if there is anything that they can do to help them. And I think this has been quite um, a big thing, really. I think certainly... From one, one client that I spoke to, the sort of the magnitude of this exercise meant that they were sort of redeploying some back office staff who normally don't have any um, interaction with customers. So there was a element of right. training there and getting them, you know, they, they were sort of coming out of their comfort zone, as it were, speaking to customers. And then obviously they're not necessarily best placed to know the responses of, you know, how do we put them in touch with a food bank or how do we do this? So, it, you know, it's been quite a big exercise for them. And I think something that they found quite rewarding in some places. Rewarding from a personal point of view, as well as from the customer's point point of view. Yes, I guess when you think about it from a like a personal level, I think when I come on your podcast, Stephen, I always seem to talk about my gran. Um, but, you know, she she's 85. She lives alone in Scotland. So, you know, from a personal point of view, there's nothing we've been able to do in terms of forming bubbles or anything like that. So everything we've been doing, we've been doing remotely. So I think it's just if you were a staff member in a housing association thinking, well, these vulnerable customers are potentially people's parents, you know, grandparents. Yeah. and so forth and I think they've just found it I think if you work for a housing association you might have a little bit of a predisposition to want to help people um, so I think having that opportunity to you know speak to people actually know you're potentially doing something to make a difference for them at the current time I think you know I think that's certainly been rewarding for them think organizations generally one of the things that seems to have uh, have come out of quite a lot of the research Stephen is in terms of that making a difference and I think even hard-nosed, nasty commercial organisations have taken a different approach in this moment. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, we've seen, I'm not sure our clients would appreciate being called hard-nosed, nasty commercial organisations. <laughs> I but... was not referring to clients in that, in that <laughs> little catchphrase. But yeah, I, th- I think you know, whether or not your primary aim is to make money, I think you know, everyone we deal with sees looking after customers as the main thing they need to do as an organisation. And this is a, you know, a real sort of uh, crisis point, if you like, a real moment of truth um, in the sort of most extreme sense of that to test how much do you really care about customers? And it, it often is, the, we, we keep using this phrase, moments of kindness. There are these little opportunities to show a bit of care and a bit of empathy that don't really amount to all that much in, in sort of practical terms, but uh, just show at, at this moment of truth, have, are you making a little bit of time to listen to customers, to make sure you're communicating to customers so that they feel reassured about what's going on? Those little things make a disproportionate amount of difference when there's a point of crisis. One of the things I find interesting about that is that all of us are at a point of crisis to varying degrees at the moment. So it's obvious that that that's needed. My challenge, I guess, to organisations is how do you take that thing that we've learned, that that little moment of kindness is really valuable and powerful, and how do you spread that to the rest of the time? So, you know, in three years' time, when the crisis is personal to me, not 
not a global pandemic how do you still make sure you're making the making the time to have to show those moments of kindness for the individual crises as well as the the global one i think that's a really good point and i think i heard um somebody put the analogy across in that we're not all in the same boat but we are all weathering the same storm and i think it's very much um, yeah, yeah we're all you know we're all in this unknown unprecedented situation and it's just thinking well actually the person on the other end of the phone or whoever it is i'm dealing with is also in a an awkward unknown you know potentially difficult situation and i think it's maybe because we're all in it that you're thinking about the person on the other end of the telephone or, or the interaction whereas ordinarily if you were okay you'd be going about your daily business you wouldn't necessarily be as empathetic to the person that you're you're interacting with yeah it's a really good way of putting that because we're all i guess in different standards of boats as well and with different boating skills aren't, aren't we and I, and I think perhaps what we're talking about there is perhaps it's a lot easier to just see the world from the customer's perspective at the moment because we are all feeling change and i know organizations all the time are going through change but to actually the way we're having to all live and interact at the moment is just so different so perhaps it is helping to really see things through the lens lens of the customer how have you found like the importance of sort of communication in terms of the housing sector there vic um, I think, again, people have responded, or housing associations, should I say, have responded to varying degrees. And I think it will depend, you know, back to Stephen's point on boxing, whether you're a nationwide association or much more localised um, and how sort of close um, you are to your profile, your, your tenant profile. I think some have done really well and sort of redeployed quickly and got, you know, communications out there in relatively real time, um, you know, at the beginning of lockdown, beginning of April, sort of say, where, you know, informing people proactively of what they need to do if they've got a repair or if they've got financial issues, things like that. Some have perhaps been a little bit more reactive um, and a little bit slower to, to be able to, to deal with that um, and, you know, get things, information out as, as quickly as they might like. Yeah, I, I, I guess, you know, you can never over-communicate, but I think at a time like this, it probably... Because things are just changing so quickly, aren't they, and, and changing so so significantly. And I know when we were talking, um, you know, last week, and you were talking about people's ability to pay, mm. I, I'd sort of just defaulted to the, oh, you're talking about the financial situation, which is obviously, you know, stressing out yeah. many many people at the moment. But but you added to that and say not just could they pay, but how do they pay? Mm. The sort of physicality of, you know, of it has completely changed you know, as well, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think just to go back to the financial situation, people were, they're not necessarily saying, I'm worried about how I'm going to pay my rent, but I think people were more generally thinking of others and, and that some folk will struggle and some folk will have reduced incomes and be furloughed and so on. It was a lesser theme, uh, less, less frequent theme, but some people saying, how am I going to pay my rent physically? because previously I've gone down to the office and paid it, you know, in a face-to-face manner. And so, you know, I'm going to have to do that differently and I might not have the means to do it online or or by telephone. And interestingly, going back to my gran again, um, I was talking to her about this at the weekend and I hadn't really thought about it or appreciated it, but she has always paid her bills in this way, you know, going down to the post office or, or whichever branch of the yeah. bank and as much I guess for her for the social aspect of it to get her out and about make sure she's you know still interacting and you know she's got a, a, a reason to go out for, for want of a better word but she very yes. much was saying well actually 
I'm, I'm going to get a direct debit set up and that'll be a lot easier for me, won't it? And things like that. So I think it's, you know, from Stephen's webinars, how people are going to do things differently now that is going to continue um, after the lockdown. You know, I think that certainly might be something that, that will be considered. Yeah, I think my feeling, and I'm certainly not alone in, in thinking this, lots of people have said this, but it, it seems to have forced a step change in trends that were already there anyway, really. So, you know, things were already switching more to digital, more to flexible working and mm. so on. And it's kind of jumped that ahead maybe three or four years in, in a step rather than you know, just sort of shortcutting the trajectory we were on anyway. And I do think if you, if you look at social housing as a, a specific sort of case study of that, I have heard anecdotally from some of my clients that it sort of accelerated, certainly in terms of their ways of working, accelerated move to sort of more, more people working from home. You know, more flexible digital kind of uh, approaches to things and they, and a little bit of that feeding through to customer experience as well. Yes, I think, um, I mean, I haven't personally seen any move as such to digitalization happening any quicker, any sooner, or any differently perhaps that's what it might have done. But I do, um, speaking with one client, um, a smaller housing association with a smaller tenant profile who have, um, as I say, identified vulnerable customers that they're doing care calls with. And actually, they found this really beneficial to the point that they're going to carry this on post-lockdown once we go mm-hmm. back to whatever normal is. Because they've just found it's easier to keep in contact with these residents. And it's also safe, probably preempted some uh, interactive, you know, inbound call from that individual, say. But yeah, it's been easier for them to keep in contact with these individuals. And they've probably proactively been able to do things for them rather than waiting for that individual to, to ring into request the repair or whatever it is that they've needed it's interesting because when people start talking about the new norm it is unquestionably going to be different but it's also going to give some opportunities because if if we talk about the star of of this podcast your grand she's going to set up a direct debits and she's going to um, financially interact another way but there'll still be a need for that social contact which she'll have to sort of find in a different or alternative way. And if organisations can see that the customer has altered something but wants to interact in a different way, that, you know, there's an opportunity to respond to that. And, and, you know, the best companies, the best um, organisations and associations will respond to seeing that customer needs have changed in different ways. I think that's right, Greg. And I think I think there is possibly an opportunity if, again, let's take social housing as, as the sort of case study. If we see a reduction in the number of inbound calls for a whole load of different reasons, maybe people are reporting repairs more online or, or whatever else, that frees up resource that could potentially be used for more outbound calling. And it, it's always been a pet theory of mine that exactly as you said, Vic, making an outbound call saves you probably two inbound calls that come at the worst possible time when you can't manage your volumes. So I think often organisations cut their outbound calling to save money. And I believe, Mm. and sometimes I have evidence to support this, that that usually ends up actually costing more money in the sort of medium term because you get more avoidable contact coming in when you can't manage it. And I think it's probably going to be looking at perhaps doing more more services or other ways of supporting residents. So not to keep going on about her, but my gran, um, you know, she can't get out to go shopping. I feel she should be on the next <laughs> podcast, really, and uh, as the star of it, really. <laughs> oh, we never shut her up. But like, obviously she's not able to go out and do her shop. So my mum is now doing an online shop for her on her behalf um which is fine because obviously you know we have access to to do that and you know family to help her 
but maybe it's things like this that perhaps housing associations might have to sort of branch out into as it were not necessarily doing online shops for people but you know helping with shopping or helping with services that people can't quite do for themselves it's interesting that isn't it because i mean this is probably too big for this podcast and, and for us really but there is this kind of on perennial debate in social housing you know what is our remit is it four walls and a roof mm. or is it the more sort of uh, yeah the caring on top of that and probably no very few people are literally at the four walls and a roof mm -hmm. end of it but on the sort of well how far away from that is it right for us to go that becomes quite a, quite a complex ethical and, and kind of vision problem i think yeah and you're absolutely right because essentially you know there is a tenancy agreement in place so it is a, a contractual relationship but i think you know, as a society and as a community, we perhaps need to really appreciate that, you know, people are, you know, living alone and perhaps might not have sort of the interaction with others. You know, sometimes I know when we're doing telephone interviews, our telephone interview of contacting somebody could be the first person that they've spoken to all day. And I think you're right, Stephen, it is a bigger debate and it's probably not one for us necessarily, but it is where, you know, where do we draw the line or, or where do we move to in a society i was fortunate enough to do um, four depth um, interviews face-to-face -face interviews with some chief executives of housing associations last last year uh, one from england one from wales one from scotland so it must have been two from england yeah one was from <laughs> london <laughs> we'll call london in england as well it was northern england and london and they were identified as real leaders in sort of customer satisfaction and customer centricity and i have to say all four of them were absolutely inspirational leaders and what there was many things behind that but part of it was their clear vision that it was about the community they live in and, and that their staff live in and that they live in and they operate in and it was you know so much beyond housing we're here to make a difference and housing is one of the ways that we can and obviously you know what we're here to provide but they were seeing a much bigger picture and I think if you, know, if you go back to people at the top of our organization it wasn't just that in terms of, of sort of delighting people and successful organizations they saw the commercial benefits of it that, that you were alluding to as well if we can do this that means less inbound calls make sure we've got people there when customers want to call us what channels do they want to use let's not force them in channels which are inefficient for them because we know they'll bounce back into another channel and and, and things like that and it was very much looking at it like that so um what do we think the future looks like do we wait and see what do we think it's going to, I guess it is changing quite rapidly, quite rapidly now. Let's have a guess at the, at the future. Stephen. Oh, great. I had a feeling you would come to me first. The immediate future is kind of relatively easy. So we can say, you know, let's say going into autumn, we're going to start seeing people want to go, trying to go back to this new normal that we're going to be figuring out between us. And the virus is still going to be there. So we're all going to have to change our expectations of how normal life works, certainly for the next, let's say, six months, maybe a year, maybe 18 months. Who knows? So that's going to look like, you know, if I come into your house to fix your boiler, we're going to have to be a lot more conscious of things like social distancing and whether I'm wearing masks and gloves and how we clean up after ourselves and all of those sorts of issues. That's a kind of fairly obviously predictable short term change that that will last until we get rid of this virus one way or another. Longer term, I think is actually more interesting 
because then you start thinking about do we collectively reevaluate what matters to us do we start thinking about whether we are all got used to working a bit more flexibly and spend more time working at home do we think well actually we've given the climate a bit of a break for six months or 12 months of not traveling very much maybe we should do that and maybe maybe this idea that climate change is impossible for us to address well apparently we can choose to do something about (laughs) it if if we if we make that act of will none of these things are are simple none of them are going to happen not everyone's going to agree about what the right thing to do is but this does create a sort of like an inflection point like a moment where we collectively can either make some big decisions together or lots of little decisions will add up to big changes. And I think when it comes to things like working from home, I suspect that's what we'll see is a lot of people all at the same time making sort of personal decisions that add up to quite a big societal change. I think that's an interesting point because I think the working from home thing, certainly, I mean, I know I haven't filled my car up with fuel since March. You know, it's not it's not gone anywhere. It's that there pretty much. Um, so inevitably, you know, everybody doing that is going to have an impact on, you know, emissions and, and, and carbon and things like that. But um, on the flip side, I do I have sort of had feedback from people saying, well, actually, it's not really working from home. It's living at work and blurred lines about, I mean, obviously, the flexibility is great. You can, you know, you can go and put a wash on or you can go and you know, walk the dog or things like that in amongst your day and make it work for you. But I think also some people are finding it if they're busier at the minute, they are actually working longer hours and they are because you haven't got that commute. You haven't got that end of day sort of signal of logging off and, and getting in the car or getting on the train or, or however you, you, you know, your commute is. Mm. So I think it, I think the working from home one will be really interesting and in how that sort of manifests and, and progresses. Do you have any thoughts in terms of social housing specifically? How, what, what, what you think that might start looking like in the sort of short to medium term? Oh, I think in the short term, I think there's going to be a backlog of repairs. Um, (laughs) Three months of people not going into houses. And certainly talking to one of my clients, we were discussing that could you do outdoor repairs at the current time? You know, the weather's been fairly decent. Well, not today, but, you know, expenses, things like that in the short term. Obviously, as Stephen was saying, having people coming into your home to do repairs now, you're going to have to have like PPE and you're going to have to distance and you're going to have to put measures in place there. So I think certainly there's going to be perhaps a bit of of a hiccup, I guess, as um, these backlogs are are worked through. But I think longer term, I mean, goodness, I I wouldn't like to say it's, I think there's the social impacts. I think that we are seeing, you know, a more caring community at the minute. You know, everyone, I don't know about you, but even when you ring somewhere up, I think I'd spoken to a delivery company earlier and just when they, um, everybody's sort of wishing the other person, you know, take care or stay safe. And I think that that feels quite genuine at the minute. I don't think it's, you know, it's not on a script or anything. So I think, yeah, I think it'll have to be interesting to see how it does sort of pan out in the sort of the the medium to longer term, certainly in the social housing sector. Interestingly, I've sort of written down um, sort of two or three words here where I think people's and customers' attitudes have altered. And I think in this adversity, you know, we've definitely seen a response to kindness and genuine kindness, not scripted kindness, as you're saying. I actually think we've become more patient because you can't just nip in and out of a shop. You've got to do things slowly. You've got to be prepared to queue. You realise to do things at a safe distance just 
has to be slower and, and, and sort of patience seems to have come along. And certainly that idea of caring for others and realising others care for us has really altered your mindset. And I guess we would inevitably say this anyway, but the more you interact with customers and see the world through customers, particularly as customers' needs are changing and their attitudes are changing, it probably is a time to really make sure people understand what customers want because it would be such a dangerous and I would suggest a wrong assumption to assume they're going to go back to the attitudes and behaviours that they had before. So I think that idea of really being close to customers, besides all the moments of kindness, is, is, is just what you'd advise any organisation to do right now. To pick up on that point, Greg, I think one of the things I find fascinating is to wonder how the psychology, all of our psychology may change. At the weekend, I was watching a bit of Glastonbury on TV and it just looks weird to see thousands of people stood kind of on top of each other in a field it just looks mad now and i don't know if that's a passing thing or, or permanently yeah yeah i don't know i just don't know yeah i think things like that will be interesting to see how they change over the next months and, and probably a couple of years i think the other thing we need to do is um we'll be more organized in how we um approach things so because you might only be going to the supermarket say once a week you probably more organized in planning your meals ahead so you're not buying things that you don't need or you're planning what you do buy and i would imagine there's going to be less waste because of this and also people using leftovers better you know Stephen, you making stock with your chicken carcass and things like that so i think it's just you know lots of little things like that that may change yeah there was some data came out last week in the retail sector i think from it might have been tesco's but the point that was being made is um, people are doing fewer shops but larger shops because of exactly what you're saying, Vicky, in terms of being organised and trying to plan out um, plan out things and no doubt putting some safety into that, uh, uh, you know, as well. Interesting times ahead. Absolutely. Okay, well, that, that seems like a good point to wrap up. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. If you're using iTunes, please subscribe, rate and review us. And if you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at TLF Research or at tlfresearch.com. Vicky, thanks very much for joining us. That was really useful. Yes, thank you for having me. Um, I did find it very interesting as well. And thanks for listening, everyone. Um, be really good to sort of hear from you. If you've got any views on this or anything, please do get in contact with us. Love to get into a dialogue with you.